Hello, I'm David Suisa, Editor-in-Chief of the Jewish Journal. Please visit us at jewishjournal.com. And welcome to my podcast. Our sponsor this week is Yeshiva University's Wurzweiler School of Social Work. And you can learn more about their Master of Social Work program at wurz.yu.ed. Delighted to have here all the way from Israel, Daniel Luria. Shalom, shalom. Pleasure to be here. Before we get started, I would like to again welcome our sponsor, Yeshiva University's Wurzweiler School of Social Work. Do you want to make a difference in the community and serve others? Have you ever thought about changing careers? Yeshiva University now offers an online Master of Social Work program that prepares you to make a real difference in the lives of those who need it most. This program is interdisciplinary, which means it can lead to fulfilling social work roles in a variety of industries, including hospital and healthcare, mental health, community outreach, military support, human services, and many more. The program is built around what's called The Heights, a virtual community that allows you to explore key social work scenarios by visiting specific points of interest on an interactive map so you can build experience in client consultations, home visits, and a lot more. Learn more about it today at wurz.yu.ed. It really does sound amazing. Today we have my friend from Jerusalem, Daniel Luria, executive director of Ateret Kohenim. What does that mean, Ateret Kohenim? It literally means the crown of priests, but we're not priests. We don't deal with the Temple Mounts or the Temple Institute or the, uh, the utensils. Uh, we are effectively, and I have to be careful saying this, like the JNF of Jerusalem, the original JNF that used to buy back or reclaim land for the Jewish people. We're basically involved in trying to keep Jerusalem in Jewish hands, uh, the heart of Jerusalem. We're known in America as Yerushalayim Chai. Um, people can see on the internet site even JerusalemChai.org. But a very, very unique nonprofit organization that works in reclaiming old Jewish property, strengthening Jewish roots, and making sure that, uh, that we have rights to live side by side with Arabs, uh, but under Jewish sovereignty and keeping Jerusalem, united Jerusalem, in Jewish hands. You know, when I hear that, Daniel, I, I hear all kinds of controversy that comes into my mind because everybody talks about a peace agreement, hopefully one day, with the Palestinians, and we always talk about splitting Jerusalem. How do you feel about that? Uh, Jerusalem can never be split. I mean, uh, the fact that the Arab world or the world in general talks about concessions, it, it's not going to happen. It shouldn't happen. There's no reason for it to happen. Uh, I mean, Jerusalem has always belongs to the Jewish people. You know, 3,800-year uh, uh, already from then, we've got this uh, unbreakable bond. Uh, we have to basically show strength of conviction. The only way there's going to be true peace is actually living side by side and basic coexistence, but under Jewish or Israeli sovereignty. You know, I remember a few years ago, I was in uh, East Jerusalem, and the guy I was with was asking somebody else, what do you think is the Jewish population in East Jerusalem? So somebody said, mm, I don't know, 5,000. Yeah. Somebody else said 10,000. And it turns out it was 220,000. Correct. And I don't realize, I don't, I don't think most people realize how many Jews there are in East Jerusalem. Yeah, they don't. Most people have got this concept because of the press and the media around the world. It's like as though that there's this Arab East Jerusalem. But the reality, as you've said, is 220, 225,000 Jews. Neighborhoods that people wouldn't dream that that's East Jerusalem. Ramot, mm -hmm. French Hill. 
Neve Yaakov, Pisgat Zev, Gilo, regular neighborhoods in the heart of Jerusalem. There's also 295,000 Arabs that can't be ignored, most of whom, 63% of them, at least according to a survey, prefer to be under Jewish sovereignty, under Israeli uh, leadership or rule, than being under the PA or Hamas. So, you know, Jerusalem really, it's, the truth is it can't be divided. It's impossible. The only part of Jerusalem that the Arab world believes they can get, and even that we have no intentions whatsoever of making any compromises, is the Holy Basin. And that's where our Teret Konin, the shield of Jerusalem, steps into the story, the old city and the area around. So let me, let me ask you, give me a, a specific example of something your organization does. Basically, Arabs approach the organization, either directly or indirectly through different uh, middlemen. Uh, they're interested in selling, um, you know, and Jews for generations. Zionism is all about Jews returning and buying land. The JNF bought land for the Jewish people. Arab wants to sell, Jew wants to buy. There are Arabs that buy, for example, in Jewish neighborhoods and no one says anything. So why should it bother the world or bother anyone if an Arab wants to sell? What kind of property? Give me an example. Is it a uh, building, a house? It can be an apartment. We generally go, it's generally um, buildings, not individual apartments, because if a Jew was to move into a single apartment, then suddenly the other Arabs living in the the rest of the building would probably close shop. Uh, it's not straightforward real estate. Your listeners have to understand that there is a disgraceful, immoral, unethical edict, an official Muslim law that if you sell to a Jew, you're killed. Is that what was in the news last week? It's been in the news a lot recently because the Arabs found that a number of buildings uh, the Jews moved into. I can't obviously talk in the uh, airwaves about uh, Aturat Konim's particular role, but basically a number of buildings moved into uh, inside the old city in this particular case. Um, and they, the Palestinian Authority arrested who they believe are some of the middlemen involved in these, uh, these deals. I mean, where in the world? Could you imagine here in America if there was a law that said if you sold to someone from Spain or Hispanic that you'd be killed? It wouldn't mm. last 24 hours. Mm. It's, it's undemocratic. It's a disgrace that such an edict actually uh, uh, applies. And the fact that they can torture middlemen, what, what type of Does Israeli law... No, this is not Israeli law. This is an, an Arab fatwa. Correct. No, I understand Muslim that. Edict. Right, right. I totally get that. I'm saying uh, as far as a recourse for that individual, is there a recourse to Israeli The only courts? recourse, uh, theoretically, there is, but no one's ever done it. We as an organization, for example, we have to be very careful, and therefore we sometimes maybe move the Arabs overseas. Maybe there's a, a court case that mm -hmm. the Arabs protected as though he's fighting. Maybe there's middlemen. Maybe we don't move in for a few years. Mm -hmm. Every case in itself, everything to protect the Arab. You know, if you remember about seven years ago, there was an Arab who sold. It wasn't with a territory that only deals in the holiest, uh, most important area of the Holy Basin. Just outside the Holy Basin, an Arab sold. In this particular case, the seller didn't know the Jews were going to move in. When he saw that the Jews moved into his, because the middleman was used, he went to Jericho to clear his name. He was shot in the head seven times. His body was burnt at a stake in the town square and it was dumped outside of Jericho. So this is what we're dealing with. And now yesterday in the newspaper I saw that the Muslim higher authorities are talking now about having a freeze on any sale. What type of world society we're we living in where a person doesn't have the freedom to be able to sell if he wants to sell? So that's what they're doing there because every centimeter is important. But as a result of the work of Atzeret Konim, there's now a thousand Jews living in the old Jewish quarter, which is, I think, called the Muslim quarter today, inside the old city. We have hundred families living on the Mount of Olives. Isn't it dangerous? Numbers makes it safe. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that there aren't... Uh, problems. For example, the Yemenite village, the middle of what some people may call Silwan. Before there was an Arab living there, Yemenite Jews came in 1882. 
144 Yemeni families, they were kicked out, just like the Muslim quarter, which was the old Jewish quarter. They were kicked out in the pogroms of the 20s and the 30s. We've gone back to this Yemenite village, and the families there have been under enormous pressure and attack. Until the year 2000, and, uh, till halfway through the year 2018, the two years prior to that, 1,702 physical attacks against the families living there. Molotov cocktails, concrete blocks, a washing machine one time slamming down on the vehicle. And their only crime is the fact that they're a Jew living in the heart of Jerusalem. Have you been to Sheikh Jarrah recently? Uh, not recently, but I pass it every day. It's just outside the Holy Basin. The, yeah. it's, it's called, we call it the Shimon Hatzadik neighborhood. Before mm-hmm. it was Sheikh Jarrah, there were Jews living there. We have to have uh, historical correctness. It's called the Shimon Hatzadik neighborhood, and uh, there are families living there. Uh, I the, went there a few years ago to uh, cover demonstrations, right. and they had, like, Europeans, uh, that press, and they had a whole group of tents, and they were really, it was like a serious demonstration, got into some heated... Uh, the guy I was with got into some heated verbal altercations. And then across the street from the demonstration was one tiny little Jewish family. <laughs> it was a couple with one kid getting ready for Shabbat. And I'm thinking, my God, what kind of life is this? You're surrounded by hostile neighbors. It is true that there are some areas where there's a lot of Arabs around only a few Jews. But if you look at the big picture... We're just a few million Jews in a tiny state of Israel surrounded by millions, if not hundreds of millions of Arabs that want to see the end of the Jewish state. Now, I'm not packing my bags to go back to the exile of Australia. We're not going back to the uh, concentration camps. Oh, so that's what you, where your accent's from. The accent is definitely right. from down under. Yeah. Although I don't sound like Crocodile Dundee. This is more of a, Wh- a Which Jewish part of Australia? Australia? My body was uh, specifically in Melbourne, although I married a Sydney girl. Uh, is there a difference between the Melbourne accent and the Sydney accent? If there is, I can't pick it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it could well be. I, they say that there is between the north of Australia and Melbourne. but uh, What was it like when you moved to Israel? Was that by choice? Were you making Aliyah? What what made you do it? What made I do it? It's it's in the blood of every single Jew. From the time that Abraham was in Yerushalayim, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, David, plus I was brought up in a religious home, uh, B'nai Akiva, a religious Zionist. It was a matter of not um, if, just a matter of when. You know, in my Pico Robertson neighborhood, it's like a statement. It's like a big truism. You can't live in that neighborhood without always thinking that you want to move to Israel. Even though you know you're not... You're not going to move. It's like part of the conversation. It's, listen, every Jew the consciousness. Has to be. The problem is, with Pika Robertson is too good. People, uh, they're not in the Galut anymore. The Galut is part of it. You no, know, you're right. It's it's a it's a it's a big problem. People have in some ways forgotten Yerushalayim or Israel. That's a good idea for a column. Pika Robertson is not Galut. It certainly doesn't feel like it. It feels so so Jewish. But you did the move. Did you do it alone? Um, at the time, married with two children and three others were born in Israel. So I've got five children living in uh, Maladumim. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, uh, I'm basically living the dream. I mean, no regrets. No, is it regrets? I'm uh, living in the heart of, uh, working in the heart of Yerushalayim, part of the unfolding, call it redemption process, the Zionist dream. My great-great-grandparents, I'm actually doing what my grandparents did. They came with the Rebbe from Yablunia from Poland, and they built Kfar Hasidim in the north next to next to Haifa. At some point, someone ended up going to Australia, but I'm back home. Listen, every your Jewish, wife, Your wife, too, she loves it? Loves it also. Mm-hmm. That's the way we're brought up. Every the, the, the Jewish people, we only have one home. We can pretend and say that... We're 
we're a fish out of water, even here in Los Angeles. Every Jew should be there. The question is, how is the, how are we going to make that change here to bring everyone back home? And then there wouldn't be a problem. What's it like when you drive down Wiltshire Boulevard and you know in L.A.? I mean, it's as radically different as the drives you take every day from Malad Dumim to to Jerusalem. It's it's so different here. It's very different, but it's it's okay because I know that I'm getting on a plane going back home tomorrow morning. So right. uh, I mean, you drive around LA and you look around, you look at the, the buildings. It's it's it's. I'll tell you what I see. A million miles away. I'll tell you what I see that actually hurts a little bit. I have at the moment an old Beit Knesset, a synagogue in the Yemenite village that the Jews were kicked out of 80 years ago. I have pictures the way the Arabs left the synagogue, burnt Torah scrolls and tore them up. And there's a famous picture of Rechavam Ze'evi's father standing there in August of 38. Mm. That synagogue is today back in Jewish hands. But it needs it's a $3.5 million project to fix it up. I see these magnificent synagogues here. I'm saying to myself, how is that possible? I have a synagogue in the heart of Jerusalem that needs to be rebuilt, and yet I'm seeing this beautiful, wonderful Jewish life, and I understand that people have to be here. But at the same time, you can't just pay lip service to Jerusalem. Singing L'Shana Habal Yerushalayim is not enough anymore. Well, maybe a wealthy listener will hear this and no. step up to the plate. There's no shortage of things to be done in Jerusalem. It just it be, struck yeah. me, though, Daniel, yeah. that uh, in a way, uh, we're a minority in in America and in a way you're also dealing with a situation of minority because you go from a majority a great majority of Jews where you live in Maladumim and then where you go in uh, in East Jerusalem Jews are a minority so you you sort of have to feel that same energy uh, as well there first of all for me there's no East Jerusalem for me, there is just United Jerusalem. There's no such thing anymore. But as the neighborhoods, the neighborhoods. Yeah, here. Jews are a minority in the neighborhood. Well, there's only one little area that we are a minority. That I'll, that I'll give you. And that's just the Holy Basin. We've right. said, you yourself said, 225,000 Jews live in East Jerusalem today. What we're is not, we're considered not a minority. the Holy Basin? The Holy Basin is the old city and the area around and the corridor going towards Abu Dis, which is outside Jerusalem. Abu Dis mm -hmm. is outside the borders. It's just behind the Mount of Olives. In the Holy Basin, which is the old city and its environs, that's what the whole battle is all about. That's what the Arab world wants. But mm -hmm. from our point of view, and I don't mean any disrespect to neighborhoods like Karnof or Beit Akerem or Rahavia, no one can compare that to our history, our heritage, our roots. The Jewish people's pumping station is the old city, the Temple Mount, the city of David, the Mount of Olives. And that the, for sure can't be any compromise. Mm -hmm. Yes, at the moment, there aren't a lot of Jews. How many Jews in the Holy Basin? Ooh, I've actually never been asked that question. I can tell you the old city, for example, there are 5,000 Jews out of 34,000 population. Mm -hmm. But that population is made up of Christians, Arabs, Armenians, not all just mm -hmm. Muslims. Uh, the City of David today, because of the work of Atzeret Konim and the City of David, who is now a separate organization, it's half-half. Just the families living in the original City of David. That's unbelievable. We have a Jewish neighborhood of 100 families living on the Mount of Olives. And yes, the 21 families living in the old Yemenite village of uh, Shiloach or Silwan is a minority. But so what? Mm -hmm. We were in a minority when we came here. Now we've built a beautiful, thriving envious to the whole world state of Israel because of people with devotion and also money and we've created something good and that's what's going to happen also in Jerusalem. Are there positive stories that you hear of peaceful coexistence among the neighbors because you mentioned over a thousand uh, examples of, of violence for vis-a-vis -vis the Jews. Right. But 
Is there another side to that story? There definitely is. And unfortunately, uh, the attacks is really a small number of clans that are exceptionally violent, intolerant. Mm. But we have to remember there is no shortage of Arabs that just want to live side by side, put food on the table. You meet them? You I personally? meet them. They're the ones that are in the shuk. They're the ones that are uh, saying hello. They're the ones that are in the Hebrew University studying and lecturing. They're mm. the ones in the hospitals. They mm. know that life is good under the Jews. I tell you, two weeks ago, and they will never say this on an interview. They won't say it to a Fox interview or they won't come here and sit here. But we were working with Arabs, for example, in the old Yemenite village just to have the municipality invest in making uh, a, a street that had shocking stairs getting up and down for the old and the women a proper uh, investment for the road structure and the lighting in the area. Jews and Arabs working together to fix up something in the Yemenite village. I'm not going to pretend that I want to intermarry with them. I don't. They don't want to intermarry with me. I have my Jewish festivals. They have their Muslim festivals. But you can only create peace and coexistence, actually, when you're side by side, sometimes in the same courtyard, saying, Ahalan Mas'alan. The left wing in Israel today, with all due respects, are ideologically bankrupt. In their case scenario, they're talking about Jews over there, Arabs over here, giving up, forgetting their past, not knowing where they're going in the future. In our case scenario, Jews and Arabs have to be able to live together in basic peace and coexistence. That's the only way you can have true peace in Jerusalem, by sowing strength of conviction and living side by side. Do you have an example, uh, even if it's not now, but I'd, like, I'd love to do a story in the Jewish Journal on a real example of two neighbors, Jewish neighbor, Arab neighbor, doing something together in, in the Holy Basin. You're going to have one problem be, with that. It could, it could even be, you know, <laughs> inviting someone for Shabbat dinner, you know, an Arab neighbor and then vice versa for their thing. I'm just curious to see how far this goes. Because I know there's something about a neighborhood that really can bond people. And if you meet your neighbor all, every day and they're happy to be in Israel... Uh, it's just, I'm, Let's put it this way, I'm David. Asking. If yeah. you are able to do that, then I will say Shechianu v'kiyimanu v'higyanu as the blessing of something for the first time to happen. It's not a problem finding a Jew, whether it be me or one of the families, speaking and talking about it and even being filmed or interviewed about that. The chances of you getting an Arab to be oh, to interviewed, go public, to go, it, it just won't, it won't happen. There is just too much intolerance and hatred by too many violent clans that are causing problems for a nice number of Arabs that all they want to do is live quietly in peace. And they know that life is good in the state of Israel. Yes, yeah, it's, it's called the anti-normalization movement. You see it a lot in Judea and Samaria and the universities. Any, anytime some kind of peaceful coexistence projects happens, even with the press, oh. it's an unfortunate... I have to give you an example. I was with Mike Huckabee. We brought him to Israel, Ateret Konim, and I took him for one of the tours. It wasn't just going around to our neighborhoods and understanding the battle over Jerusalem. I took him to Malea Dumim, and outside of Malea Dumim is the industrial area, Soda Stream. It caused a big stir sure, here, et cetera, sure. et cetera. And he was singing the praises of this particular person and the Jews, the Arabs working together. That's the way it should be. But the left wing in Israel destroyed the whole thing and the guy closed the, closed the factory because of the bad press, the media. He wasn't up to the pressure. The left wing in Israel destroyed it. And now all these Arabs lost their jobs. What was the point? What's the well, point? it's you know, it's not just the left wing. It's also the radical... Uh, you know, terrorist. Look yeah, at what yeah. happened in the Barkan uh, business park. This was the epitome of coexistence. Yeah. And then uh, a fellow employee murders two Jews. Was it two or three? Yeah, yeah it was horrible. So that that sort of that was a punch in the gut for many of us here who who pray for peace, because here you have the 
you know, we always talk about peaceful coexistence. We had it in Barkhan. We all pray for peaceful coexistence, but one has to remember, understand reality, don't shoot yourself in the foot, and show strength of conviction. When you forget your past, you don't know where you're going to go in the future. I'm Israel. We have a very small state. We don't want to take over anyone else's land. But let's let's face it. The only people who are the indigenous people of the land of Israel and Jerusalem are the Jewish people. You know, people can scream from today to tomorrow. I couldn't care what United Nations says, UNESCO. We've seen empires come and go in their bylines in history books. We're here. We're here to stay. And anyone who wants to live in that Jewish state for Jewish people, also a democratic state, with pleasure. But if you want to destroy me, blow me up, stab my child on a Friday night, as we've seen such incidents, then you're not wanted in the country. And, and we're not leaving. That's right. Okay. 100%. So speaking of democratic state... So two questions. One, uh, the current mayor, who's been around for many years now, Barkat, how has he been relative to some of your concerns? And what do you see going forward? Are there candidates that are better than others? And will the Arabs have a say? All candidates will be good for Jerusalem. All candidates will be great for Atzeret Kohanim. Why is that? Because they're all, uh, you know, pro-United Jerusalem. Um, will some be better than others in relation to investing in Arab neighborhoods? Because, see, one of the problems I think we've had in the past, not this particular mayor, the current one, but in the past we've had mayors that talk big, but they don't invest in Arab neighborhoods. And when you don't invest in certain neighborhoods in Jerusalem, you effectively divide the city, and that's wrong. Do you see that with your own eyes? Daniel? 100%. Listen, there's some things the Arabs won't accept. You know, there are some things that are done by the municipality, and next thing we know, there are Arabs throwing stones at the, the people coming into trying to make positive changes, parks, gardens, not right across the board. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of Muslim fundamentalism. There's a lot of radical Islam that is uh, inculcated, that is being brought in, that is uh, coming into certain neighborhoods neighborhoods in Jerusalem. See, if they were to accept um, the municipality's investments, it's like they're accepting the rule. So they're caught, some of them are caught in a bit of a bind. They could really vote if they wanted to and have a lot of power at the municipality, but they don't because there's a lot of pressure on them not to be involved and accept the Jewish sovereignty over the city. Uh, but notwithstanding that, um, there is a lot of investments being made. This mayor's done a lot more than the previous mayors, and that's the way it should be because when you invest you're showing who's the balabait. Mm. You're showing who's the sovereign, who's in charge. When you ignore an area, they get the sensation that they can do what they want, which is a problem. And they're not understanding who is the sovereign uh, sovereign body. So I'm glad that that's changing. And I wish luck for anyone who is going to run to become the, uh, the mayor of Jerusalem. Now, 18 years ago, they really, uh, when Arafat met with Bill Clinton and Ehud Barak, the prime minister then at Camp David, there was serious talk about splitting Jerusalem. Yeah. Do you remember those days? Do I remember? Were you too young? Yeah. <laughs> no, I made Aliyah 24 years ago, and I, was, I wasn't a baby when I made Aliyah. Oh, so you were in Israel I, during I was, those famous I was days. in Israel. It, is as it came so close. As clear as day. In 1995, there was all this talk and promises, but not officially given, After Oslo of, right. that Arafat was going to be given five of the seven gates of the old city, he was told to start building his Palestinian parliament house in Abu Dis. He was going to get the corridor to become Area A together with Abu Dis. Arafat, in 1995, started building his Palestinian parliament house in Abu Dis. He had Palestinian police inside the borders of Jerusalem, just east of the Mount of Olives. That was the reality in 1995. Who offered that in 1995? The geniuses of Oslo. Mm -hmm. The people who thought that you can just throw away God-given land 
could slap God in the face that believed that land for peace was going to work. Right, Balin and you Yeah, Balin, Rabin, Zichron all these right. people made, it wasn't the offer, it was on the table, they knew right. that was going something to... something to discuss, right. but was it, was it the offer in 2000 no, the, at Camp David? 100%. Five years later? Five years later, the official offer that was talked about in 1995 was put on the table. Barak... You know that for sure? No, that's that's mm. not even a question. He was mm. offered, I'm not saying whether it's 90 or 92% of Judea and Samaria. Right, I knew that. He was promised five of the seven gates, the Holy Basin, which is the old city and the area around and thank God Arafat said no why did he say no got no idea but Mm -hmm. you know um, whatever it was he said no right so once he said no Barak is saying to himself I'm just offering you the world including I'm compromising the center of the Jewish world in Jerusalem and you're saying no Get your flags out of Jerusalem. Stop building your Palestinian parliament house. You're not getting Abu Dis's area A. And Atirat Konim, we have eight families at the edge of Jerusalem behind the Mount of Olives opposite Abu Dis. There's going to be a neighborhood built there of 300 units as a physical shield of Jerusalem. Atirat Konim is what is called the shield of Jerusalem because we have uh, Jewish life in that holy basin in the corridor. Could you imagine? I ask any of your listeners. Could you imagine what Jerusalem would look like today if Arafat had said yes and he'd be allowing you and me to get to the Kotzev via the Jaffa Gate, that he had control over large sections of the Jaffa Gate and the Holy Basin? You wouldn't, if, if that area was like, imagine a mini Gaza. Why would Ehud Barak offer that? I, I can't answer for what prime ministers do. All I can say is that we've had prime ministers in the past that have unfortunately forgotten where we've come from forgotten ideologically that the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people and have wavered because they believed in land for peace. Land for peace is impossible. You cannot achieve peace when you forget your history, forget your past, and slap God in the face. You need peace for peace. 100%. Peace. And who hands away well, uh, their own homeland? Also, you can't sell something that you don't have. And the Palestinians do not have the ability to offer us peace because they can't guarantee it. You know, they can say on a piece of paper, peace, but what happens if Hamas and ISIS come in and swoop in and take over like they did in Gaza? So we're buying a product that's not for sale because they don't own it. I always said that. I think but going, but oh, going back, going back on, on the thing that happened uh, with Barack, because that sort of fascinates me. I have found that in all the divided point of views in American Judaism, between the left and the right, the one thing that everyone always agrees with is the Kotel, that, that you can't go. And, and I remember during the UN resolution that Barack Obama, President Obama, abstained from, that famous resolution right at the end of his tenure, whenever we would say, well, basically what the resolution said is that the Kotel is in Palestinian hands until further negotiation. So I have found that that's the big dividing line. And so what you just said now about Barak, which means the Palestinians would control Jewish entry to the Kotel, I think that's the red line for all Jews. To be fair, part of that deal was also that we would have uh, the Zion gates Correct. and Shah Ashport. Right. So theoretically, there'd be another access. But any talk of this, I have to tell you, uh, uh, not only does my blood boil, but I shake. 
I quiver thinking that we have a Jewish leader. First of all, no one has the, the right to hand away any part of the land of Israel. The land of Israel belongs to Jewish people for all generations, belongs to God, and he gave it to the Jewish people, and we are the indigenous people. The fact that the United Nations, soon they're going to be making some declaration, apparently, that the, uh, that the war belongs to the Muslim world because Muhammad, who never came to Jerusalem... Uh, that he did, on a donkey. No, it was a winged horse. Okay. It was a winged horse. And that the winged horse went from Mecca to Medina. And because he tied his winged horse to a fence, they now claim, they now claim that that fence is the Western Wall. Mm. Listen, there's a certain, you have to be historically honest with yourselves. Uh, One has to be true to their own history. And until a few hundred years ago, they used to call Harabait, Bet El Mukadas, from the word Mikdash. They knew exactly that the the temple was there, the first temple, the second temple. Before Muhammad was born, 1700 years beforehand, there was already the first temple. And that was way before even Abraham Avinu had already the connection with the Jerusalem as all the forefathers. But it, it doesn't I think they've hurt themselves, Daniel, yeah, okay. because I, I can tell you they've hurt themselves with the left, with friends of mine on the left, when Mahmoud Abbas denies any connection between the Jews and Jerusalem. They've gone so far that they've disgusted people who are on their side, you know, left, way left, peace lovers. Well, that's why they're left because, out, and they're, they're basically yeah, today irrelevant, and like I said before... the uh, They're their worst enemy, yeah, let me exactly. tell you, because, you know, we used to think, well, they're, they're hurting... Uh, the connection, Jewish connection, but I think they, they're really, they're losing the battle. But I do want to mention Abu Dis because that's always comes up as a possible sort of solution if we ever wanted to have a, a peace agreement with them. What's your take on that as never a possible hap- place for never a happened. Palestinian Impossi- capital? Never happened. Impossible. Uh, logistically, practically is can't it? happen. Mm-hmm. Malaya Dumim is 40,000 people, a city on the other side of Abu Dis for a start. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're never going to get the corridor. Um, and, and, and why should we? Mm-hmm. What, I mean, who are the Palestinian people? They don't exist as a, as a people with a history and a heritage. Uh, the biggest proof of that, and I challenge anyone to tell me otherwise, between 1948 to 1967, when Israel did not have the so-called eastern part of Jerusalem, when Israel did not have the Golan, Judea and Samaria, where was the so-called Palestinian people? Why wasn't there a famous state of Palestine established in the land that they so much connected with? There's never been, never, a well, Palestinian state. Well, the PLO stage. started in uh, 1964 so and also, never why bringing should up I anything hand away something? about okay. a Palestinian cause. Okay, so it, was, it was an anti-Zionist cause. A lot of people forget that. So when you hear that uh, President Trump, who's been very pro-Israel, talks about the ultimate deal and he may pressure Israel and so forth, what, do you laugh at this stuff? I mean, I can't laugh at something that I haven't seen. Well, you know they're going to have to talk about, you know, having some form of Palestinian representation in or around Jerusalem. No. Mm-hmm. No, it's not going to happen. It just won't happen. First of all, I don't see any Israeli government uh, accepting to that. Listen, after the debacle, the disaster, the catastrophe of uh, Gush Katif and the Gaza Strip, you have no idea, or maybe you do, how many left-wingers, people who supported the left, woke up. They destroyed 10,000 people's lives. Even when you relocate a zoo, it treated better than what happened to 10,000 people. Destroyed 10,000 people's lives, uh, uprooted Jewish cemeteries, uh, destroyed synagogues 
for the sake of peace. 21 settlements that were there before any Arabs were there. For the sake of peace, everything will be okay. Leave Gaza altogether. So the 15,000 rockets. The, Where's 15,000? That's you're being nice. 20,000 rockets, 30,000 rockets. We're up to over 100,000 rockets in regular cities. Okay, so the 100,000 rockets that came out of Gaza after the evacuation of the Jews in Gaza, you think that's the primary cause for the shrinking of the left in, in Israel? Because I remember the left would get 100,000 people on Saturday night in Rabin Square for peace demonstrations. Okay, and there now, were 250,000 people holding hands saying the Gush Katif shouldn't happen, but they were right. bulldozed down by, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, a certain amount of corruption. There was other reasons why it happened the way it happened. The country was divided, but that woke up the country. We ha obviously have to go through that to wake up the left wing to, um, for them to understand now, that I mean, peace doesn't work. Peace demonstrations in Tel Aviv. They're a joke. A few hundred people. Seven. So it's really, that's been the, the big thing. Also, the second intifada after the Barak's offer at Camp David, I think also disillusioned a lot of peaceniks in Israel. I think this is what happened. It's a big difference between uh, the left in Israel and the left in America. The left in America didn't feel the same consequences and circumstances that the left in Israel did. And that's why it hasn't shrunk here as much as it did in Israel. I, I can't comment on that. I don't know enough about the the left here in the, the Jewish left here in America. Well, um, it's still, you know, we want peace. And because, you know, okay. we're 7,000 we miles peace. away. I mean, I pray three times a day for peace, but Israel I'm not going to hand away my home. Israel is an idea here where in, in, uh, in Israel you're living a reality. You never meet an Israeli who doesn't know somebody who got killed or died in some kind of war, a terrorist attack. I mean, it's a completely different context than here. Here we have the luxury of looking at Israel as an idea. Uh, we look at it in some kind of a pure abstract, you know, uh, can isolation. I, can I bring it down to something real? Um, three years ago, uh, Reb Nechemi Lavi was murdered. Now, the circumstances behind it, your reader, your listeners should understand. There was a couple walking inside the old city, as thousands do every day, going to the Kotel. From the Damascus Gate, walking along the main road. The husband, Benita, was murdered by an Arab. There were 30, 40, 100 Arabs all around, shopkeepers all around. The wife is screaming for help. And all this has been recorded on footage from the security cameras there. One Arab spat at her. One Arab pushed her away. The rabbi that lives upstairs saw what was going on. Even an, an um, a Arab doctor who was working in a clinic a few meters away did not come out to help. Nothing Nothing is done to help this woman. The rabbi comes down and sees what's going on. He comes down from his apartment upstairs. His wife follows him. His two kids are watching from the window. The second he comes out the door, Reb Nechemi Lavi is stabbed by the Arab who's still there hiding behind the door. Mm, that's the disheartening. Mother, the, the, the wife slams the door shut. She's screaming. Her kids are crying and screaming. And the family lost a rabbi. Two Jews killed. One Arab terrorist that was ultimately killed by the security guards that came and tens of Arab around who did not help and did not do a thing. Now, anyone who has the arrogance or audacity to tell me that it's some lone suicide bomber, he should think again. When that guy, that filthy terrorist, is supported by family who speak on Al Jazeera and say that he's a hero, when they hand out lollies in the Gaza Strip for someone that kills a baby in a cot on a Friday night when they comes into a settlement, 
when a town square is named after him by the PA and hundreds of thousands at his cemetery, don't anyone tell me that it's one Lowe's craze fanatic. No, there is part of a, of a sick Muslim fundamentalist radical Islam that is that has to be uprooted in some format. That's what we're dealing with. So any left-wing lunatic in this country or any country that tells me that I have to compromise and hand away my homeland, that I have had a 3,800-year connection in order to have peace with these people, think again who we're dealing with. Now, do you think it may make a difference, the, the idea that uh, America is going to stop funding uh, the payment of terrorists who are in prison? Because that's been obviously a horrible incentive for terrorism to continue, hasn't been? I'm just surprised that America hasn't done Good this before, and it's taken a, a president with uh, whatever it takes to do what is necessary. Because there's an incentive that they provide the terrorists, which is kind of a horrible it's an, it's, incentive. There's an education from and grade an one. It Correct. starts with education. You want to have peace in Israel. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not pretending with your listeners that it, we can... Cr- yeah, I no have baby the, is born with hatred. Uh, I, I can't you give you the perfect hatred. recipe. But in order to have basic peace, you're 100% right. You need yeah. to teach basic peace and coexistence from day one. If you have in your schools that there is no state of Israel then Correct. what the hell's going on here? If you demonize the Zionists, then why should we be surprised if they want to kill Zionists? Now, Israel, the uh, capital, the famous, one of the biggest news stories of the year. Was embassy, the Jerusalem. Of the embassy to Jerusalem. David Friedman, beautiful. Now, this is something that's been promised for years and years. Every president promised it during the uh, their election campaigns, and finally one president did it. Talk to me about that. What are the repercussions that you've seen? Zero. No mm-hmm. repercussions. In Israel, practically on the ground, uh, only good things. I mean, the No, but smi- from, from the Arab no, sector. It hasn't. Listen, there's been declarations from, from Abbas and from Dachlan and from every other and Hamas. But say, let her make the declarations. Listen, I've heard resolutions from here to who knows where. The, everyone can make their resolutions. It means nothing. Right. The move has been done. They're angry. But w- what are they going to do Do about you it? see the anger on the street? No. No, mm-hmm. it, it's 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 not filled. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, you see anger in the streets uh, with uh, when Jews move into new buildings, uh, for mm-hmm. example, that we're seeing of late. The fact that the uh, the embassy is open, the consulate is closed, and we're seeing strong statements from uh, uh, from Greenblatt and from Friedman, they're saying the truth. They're saying things that should have been said years ago, mm-hmm. years ago. And it took someone like Trump to also do something tremendous like that. That's why they. Lo- that's why we love him in Israel. I mean, I don't know what's going on here. I mean, if, I, if I was to read the press, I've never seen a president being so much under attack for everything under the sun. Well, he I have sneezes to... and he's attacked, but I'm okay. not going to get into before American you politics. Leave, before you leave Jewish Journal today, our yeah. offices, I have to give you our issue last week. On the left side, we had why Trump is bad for Israel, and on the right side, we had why Trump is good for Israel. Okay. So feel free to I will definitely read, read that. I started sides. reading it last, uh, oh, last Shabbat. Oh, you saw it. Okay, I saw that. I didn't good. read that particular article. I read about this uh, new Israel fund. I think it was uh, was that no, was that one or was oh, something? Oh right, right. David Myers. And new, you wrote uh, you wrote very nicely. I think right. he's living in La La Land, but uh, said uh, there are many uh, people that are disillusioned and uh, a bit. Uh, well, you know, the lost. New Israel okay. Fund for me is just a, a, a radical demonstration of Israel continuing its democratic uh, character. I mean, you know, the fact that they have the freedom to demonstrate and. It says mountains actually, about who we are as a people. Uh, I think so. I think so. There, uh, even when I when I met with the head of the New Israel Fund, I've met him many times, Daniel, and he says, you know, their theme line is like democracy in action. So all these organizations, a lot of them that oppose Israel, 
It's a de- extreme demonstration of democracy, in my view. So long as they, as long as they well. remember the Hatikva, as long as they remember we're also a Jewish state for Jewish people with the Jewish values, that we have a 3,800-year connection. In fact, they should learn Resolution 3854. They should learn Resolution 2560 and Shana, learn Resolution 101. There are three resolutions that I recommend. 3854. Right. 3854-2560 and Resolution 101. And in They're the resolutions they should learn and know United back the United Nations? No. This is 3,854 okay. years ago. <laughs> God made a deal with Abraham that the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. 2,560 years ago, the king of Iran, the king of Persia, Darius and Cyrus, says that the land of Israel belongs solely to the Jewish people and we have rights to build the temple and Jerusalem belongs to the Jewish people. Resolution 101. Let's not go so far back. Resolution 101. The Balfour Declaration, San Remo, the League of Nations, the world recognize that the Jewish national home land equals, get this, Palestine, which equals the whole of Israel and Jordan. The fact that they cut that up in two thirds and one third, and we only had a small left, but let's understand something. Palestine, the true Palestinians are the Jewish people. The Palestine equals the Jewish national homeland. We are the indigenous people. I'm Israel. Nothing the world can say to change that. We're here. We're here to stay. And you can make any resolutions you like in the United Nations. Those three religions I just told you, they're the ones that make sense. I and see why they hired you. That's good. Well, you know, uh, Jerusalem Post was the Palestine Post. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, and during the Yeshuv and the, the, the posters that would encourage Jews to move to, uh, to Israel was uh, come to Palestine. Palestine was the name. Jewish the National Jerusalem. Homeland. Right, right. Okay. So what's the biggest obstacle you have in your mission now? Money. Uh, is that it? Money. The Arabs today have money, passion, drive, and unfortunately, violence. If you had more money, what would you do with it? You'd change the face of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. If Jews would not just invest in hospitals and cultural centers and synagogues and community centers here, but also remember Jerusalem beyond singing Lashana Hababi Yerushalayim, we'd be okay. So are you saying, Daniel, that uh, there are a lot of offers to sell that you can't afford? There are more Arabs ready to sell than Jews ready to buy. I have projects today on the table, whether it be restoring an old synagogue in the heart of Jerusalem, whether it be rooftop playgrounds, two nurseries, a play center, uh, adding families that add facts on the ground, and also Arabs ready to sell, notwithstanding these edicts, you could change the face of Jerusalem. Not overnight. Everything is still difficult, but it can happen. Do you have to keep it under the radar for the Arabs who want to sell? We have to be very careful in relation to the acquisitions. There's no question. But if you believe that Jerusalem belongs to the Jewish people, it should stay in Jewish hands, united, then there's no reason in the world why people shouldn't bang at our door, calling me up, emailing me at dljerusalem at gmail.com, looking up the internet site and being in touch to hold on to Jerusalem. No more lip service. So uh, just before I let you go, I love your passion. Outside of Jerusalem, what do you, what's your favorite parts of Israel? There is nothing outside when, Jerusalem. When you take There's your kids outside. away, when you go away for Pesach or whatever, <sighs> what do you love about Israel? You're speaking to the wrong yeah. person. because You really it, live your whole life in Jerusalem? No, no, you're wrong for the, for the different reason. Because every single centimeter, even outside Jerusalem, is beautiful. It doesn't matter if it's Mitzpah Ramon. It doesn't matter if it's Eilat, the Galil, the Golan. People don't realize the, the, the variety of nature in Israel. I saw a film once on oh, just, just the wildlife yeah. in Israel. It's just incredible it's the amount temperature. of it's the, geographical it's the, diversity. 100%. I used to coach squash, just to something slightly personal. I used to coach squash in Modi'in. Now, Modi'in is what? Uh, half an hour's drive from Malayal Dumim. But leaving um, uh, Modi'in to go back home, 
And remember, Modin is between Yerushalayim and Tel Aviv. I would be driving through three different climactic zones, three different topographic. It was just magnificent. The whole country from north to south, east to west. You don't need to go anywhere in the world. I tell friends and family, who needs to travel? You've got everything in Israel. Okay, we don't have glaciers. We don't have fjords of New Zealand. We don't have some of the coral reefs. Oh, oh actually, there we do have fjords. Reef. We used to have fjords in, in Nueva. In before we give it back to the Egyptians. There's no giving back. You in don't, Nueva, you don't, remember? It's, giving back. In it's giving, away. giving away. Words is very gotcha. important. There's no such right. thing giving back. Giving up, giving, up, giving back. Up. One uh, day. In the meantime, we have what we have. Now, we what have about the, Tel Aviv? Tel Aviv. It's uh, become one of the coolest cities on the planet. I don't I rush there too often. Uh, For 30 years, all a, I did was go to Jerusalem. <laughs> and then a few years ago, I started going to Tel Aviv. I got to tell you, Daniel, it's just become an incredible city. Well, I can go the back life. there now because there's 60 kosher restaurants, so it's be- much right. better than what it was. It's just an it's electricity a city. Everything, yeah. that I see there. And even on Shabbat, you get a feeling that everybody just goes back for a meal. And they can come out. You the know, country's alive. Listen, this is I don't understand what people are doing here in La La Land. you got to forget Los Angeles. Forget them. you got to come home. This I'm not, I don't work for the Aliyah department, David. But if I did, I would be telling you, listeners it's time to come home well you know we we have these discussions all the time and there's a sense that uh, we try to do a lot for israel here that we sort of need both you need um, no that's a cop out david you you're justifying you staying here home and you need the diaspora what's his name uh, mika goodman I, I might have said this before he said you had two great dreams in the past two thousand years the two great jewish dreams one was to find a place that would accept us and give us a home and accept us as equals. And the second was to return home to Zion. And both dreams came true in the same century, which was Israel and America. And the other thing that I, I had read be, once... To be honest, I think that's a cop-out for the American Jews here. The only dream right, but 2,000 years ago is coming is also back. a state of mind. Exile is also a state okay. of mind. Exile represents spiritually the idea of keeping our humility and maintaining a certain humility and realizing that, you know... Uh, it's a limit on our power and our hubris and so forth. So the idea is that here in America, we're in the diaspora, and we need to keep the essence of going home, which is what Israel represents. And the Jews in Israel need to keep the essence of the diaspora, which keeps you humble as a spiritual component. So in a way, you can make a strong case for we need both. But of course, look, I have I'll tell you what, I'll kids of mine I'll, that have made Aliyah. It's the only compromise I'll make. If a Jew still has to be here then at least feel part of the body that is pulsating in Jerusalem. While you're here, help me be part of this whole Jewish nation and help me build Jerusalem. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, just we can end on this note because one of the most important issues right now is the relationship between the Jews of Israel and the diaspora. In fact, I, I wrote yeah. my column this week on it. There's the uh, General Assembly, right. you know, the famous theme, We Need to Talk, that's been quite controversial. And if you ask me, in terms of the top two issues in the Jewish world over the next five years, this is top two, which is the relationship. And I think all too often we don't appreciate enough how we live in completely different worlds, and it's bound to have some repercussions on the relationship. But we beat ourselves up too much, I think, on this front. And then you have unreasonable expectations on both sides, not enough listening, we're shouting, we're screaming, and hopefully as we move forward, there's a little more empathy on both sides, a little more listening, and a little more recognition of our completely different realities. Yeah. And we can love Israel without beating up Israel, and, and Israelis can listen to American Jews and their concerns without feeling too defensive. I mean, there needs to be sort of a more mutual understanding because a lot of my American friends don't understand 
the Israeli way um, and the Judaism that's happening in Israel. It's just, it's just a real lack of understanding. And a birthright trip won't give it to you. And just, uh, you know, startup nation and all these kind of things that you get on a visit, it's just not enough. There's a deep, deep aspect of being Israeli that we sort of miss here. And there's also a deep aspect of what it is to live as a minority. We're 2% of population here, and you're 80%. So how are we, we going to be the same? We must have inevitably differences. Well, there's a lot to do. Uh, we're still a young uh, country that has come back home after, uh, you know, 2,000 years. There's a lot of building to do. And as you said, uh, because there's so many Jews living outside of Israel, um, we have to understand and talk to each other to appreciate each other, obviously, a lot more. Uh, my particular role, obviously, is just with the important central issue of Jerusalem. I didn't tell you earlier, we have our own BDS. Did you know that? I did not. We have a BDS project. Our, our BDS project is B, is buy and build, D, is develop and donate, and S, is save and secure Jerusalem. Mm. That's my BDS. My, my BDS is beautiful, delicious Shabbat. Amen. Shabbat <laughs> right. Shalom. On Even though it's not note, Friday. But. On that note, thank you so much, Daniel. It's a for pleasure coming. being here. Thank you for the opportunity to and giving us a, a platform about Jerusalem. If someone does want to be in contact with us, uh, my email is dljerusalem at gmail.com. Uh, you can go to our internet site, jerusalemchai.org. Happy to take people around when you come to Israel, so be in touch. And for those that want to help uh, in the struggle to keep united Jerusalem, there's plenty to be done at many levels. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Take care. This episode is sponsored by Yeshiva University's Wurzweiler School of Social Work. Please visit them at wurz.yu.ed. Mm-hmm.